Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. A crisis point in our nation and in around the world with a level of, of, of polarization. Uh, when Kathy and I got my last wife, my late wife, my married 20 years almost to the day and together 23. 23. And... She was a paraplegic and a quadriplegic at one point, right? Well, when we got married, she she had been quite a horseman, a horsewoman. Uh, she had sold a tack and saddlery and started a large animal veterinary supply business. She, five foot two, drove a, a big ass three quarter ton dually uh, filled with, with large animal veterinary supplies. And her customers went from Bakersfield to the Mex- down into Mexico. She had every racetrack, feeding lot, feeding tax store, um, feeding seed, whatever. The racetracks, the training barns, the large animal veterinary practices, and here's this little broad driving this big ass truck, barely steering with the steering wheel. Um, and you fell head in. I fell. In. Well, the funny thing is, uh, well, I went into the bank and. This young lady was a teller there, was about 18 years old. Um, I always kidded with her, and I've never been into dating my granddaughter or whatever, but she's kidding me, and I you know, this thing back and forth. One day I walk in the bank, and I hear, and I'm walking over to see the manager, and I hear, Hey, Dan! Yeah, yeah, you. You're single, aren't you? I'm, yeah. She's this woman I want you to go out with. She's great. It's my mom. <laughs> And that's how I met my wife. And uh, the first date, I told her she was a fascist nut. Um, it was crazy. The first three years, we struggled with a lot of stuff in creating relationship. And the next 20 years were miraculous. We made two, we made two vows. The first vow was to be more in love each day in spite of the evidence. And I have to tell you, that little five-foot tube was a powerhouse. And when uh, our lives changed pretty profoundly a year after we were married, she became a paraplegic and then a quadriplegic. Before you go there, what was number two? I'm sorry? You don't forget number two. Uh, Well, I'll go back to that. So, vow number two, well, that was a hard one. I know. That's but why we, I wanted to go there for. We, we promised. Our, our community goes through divorce. 2014, 80% divorce rate in the E5 and below in the Army. Alone. I've had two divorces and two deaths. I'm sorry, man. The second vow that, that Kathy and I made was to give up the right to be right. And we practiced that. No, we had some crazy... Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Kate calling. I'll just go oh, back okay. to her. She'll, she'll figure it out. So we had some crazy-ass things. Like, I, I had this little passive-aggressive strategy that I'd use. Now, every one of us wake up some mornings cranky and ready to bite the head off the next living thing that crosses our path. Except for you. I know you. I'm, I'm an that. angel, man. Absolutely. Like, I would never even hang up on my wife. But here's the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
taking responsibility for that and owning it. Ooh, it's hard. Yeah, but it's liberating. It is. So when I had those, and, and part of being a Buddhist is being present, being aware of, of your state of being. So I wake up in the morning cranky and ready to bite off somebody's head. And it would be like, okay, um, am I going to bite somebody's head off? Because you went through. I'm going to open cupboard doors. Now, she hated cupboard doors and kitchen drawers being open. So I'd go in the kitchen and I'd open every goddamn drawer and cupboard door and I'd leave the house for about 20 minutes. Well, you're now, such a console. <laughs> I would come home and she'd be waiting for me and I'd hear slam, 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 slam. And we'd go out in the patio and talk and laugh. But we found ways to honor our differences as well as the things that we shared together. But it came out of those two vows. And I have to tell you, you know, in the marriage contract, there's no, there's no clause that says, unless it's inconvenient. And uh, dealing with paraplegia and quadriplegia is not an easy thing. Many that was two years that. afterwards. No, that was right yeah. a, within a year. Within a year she became. And, you know, and the, the, the normal drill with uh, uh, paras and quads, and the divorce rate is over 85% in five years, which is appalling. But what I discovered was in the power of the commitment that we plumbed depths that I could never have had otherwise. Uh, we gave up, a, essentially had to give up our sexuality in conventional terms. That doesn't fit my pictures, you know, I'm, I'm as horny as the next guy. Um, you know, it's calling it the way it is, right? But what we discovered together was that we didn't have to be caretaker and paraplegic, that who we could be was engaged in life. You kept living. We kept living, and she, she and I sat down about, oh gosh, about three years into it after she'd had a, um, uh, she had a spinal fusion and uh, uh, had been in a coma for three weeks. It's the first time, or second time, I was told to unplug her, and I didn't. Um, but we sat down one day, and and she said, you know, I'm going to become a master gardener. I said, no shit, that's great. No legs, or no use of her legs. No, no, no use, use of her legs. legs. Going to become a master not, gardener. Not at that point. So she went to the University of California, and they said, oh, of course, you can't do that from a wheelchair. And she said, well, we can do it the easy way or the hard way. We can do an ADA suit, and I'll do it. Or you can let me enroll, and I'll show you I can do it. American Disabilities Act lawsuit. Yeah. So she enrolled. Uh, two years of, of uh, rigorous university level horticultural classes, 650 volunteer hours. She was certified as master gardener. From a wheelchair. From a wheelchair. She was vice president of Mission Viejo Garden Club, which is one of the biggest in the West. She uh, arranged um, landscaping for Habitat for Humanity homes. Uh, 
she helped develop a curriculum for K through uh, fifth grade in California state framework uh, to have kids get their hands in the dirt in terms of math, science, and history curriculum from kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. Set up a pilot program, coordinated the administrators and the and the parents and the teachers, and the kids love it. Set aside about a about a uh, oh gosh, better than a third of an acre, and each grade had their own gardens. Uh, the kids studying world history, among other things, grew papyrus and made paper. Um, the kids studying California history uh, uh, grew. Uh, stuff that related to that and uh, but it was fabulous and you know photosynthesis and sciences but with their hands in the dirt so she ran that program for a few years and, and of course I was teaching that I ran the program for the kids with developmental dis, uh, disabilities um, but what we found was that if we were willing to not be the complaint that if we could engage in a vision of something that fascinated us, to pull on a thread um, that, that um, really rang our bell, um, you know, like Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss, then the act of living was being engaged in living and not wallowing in self-pity. You know, that, this leads us to the like, if we're thinking about who's, who our audience is right now, we don't always wallow in self-pity. We're real good at taking a drug. And then we're real good to the tune of 22 a day oh, yeah. at just taking our own lives because yeah. we're just telling them done. What if, what if we all got off of this idea that... When, when Kathy died, I sat down with a psychologist at the VA clinic in my local area and she was great. We did, you know, it was, it was an opportunity for me to begin to talk about my grief. And, I mean, what a profound, topsy-turvy, turn your world upside down. Somebody that's your best friend, you love, you cherish, and they're gone. And and this, is, this is still this, fresh. Oh, it is. It's only, it's not been quite two years. Um, to be two years in September. So um, she said, "Well, you know the drill. I got to refer you over to the psychiatrist and you know, go do your thing." And so I sat down with this delightful young woman in her early thirties, uh, just finished her residency, and you know, a bona fide psychiatrist, great, caring gal, who tried to talk me into taking Zoloft to deal with my grief. And I told her, I said, don't you think it's oxymoronic to chemically bury my grief rather than come to grips with it? So if I'm in an altered state and recognizing that in her death there were times when I was suicidal, I had suicidal thoughts, I'm going to take a drug that, by the way, has, has a side effect, suicidal ideation. Um, why would I mask my feelings in a stupor rather than deal with them? She said, well, you'll feel better. 
chasing a feeling. And so she prescribed them, and I said, well, I, I'm not going to take that stuff. Well, I'll, I'll prescribe it. Well, I got a 90-day supply of Zoloft within a week, you know, from the VA pharmacy. I just took it down to the drug recycler. And you got it off the market, could you, could you tell? Oh, yeah, I'm not out selling pills. No, no, but I mean, like, it's, it's amazing that all of us who completed suicide, all of our tribe, I don't know any stories where somebody wasn't on something. I don't know. I don't know any any suicide of, of any vets that I've and I've known a, a number. Um, I don't know of a single one that was not either a psychotropic or a de antidepressant. Me neither. And uh, that's a whole subject for another drill. But here's the deal: we know that you can you can be titrated off those drugs. You know, I. And you got to do that through and you've medical, do medical help. help. Don't just go stop don't taking stuff. Don't do it yourself. You that know, will kill you. Don't that, even just stop drinking by yourself. Don't don't do crazy stuff. And that's not that's exactly right. We're not really talking about that. We're so talking I'm about, not talking about walking out the door and checking into your your cutesy dolly dimples marriage and family counselor <laughs> and uh, talking about this shit and uh, just arbitrarily taking yourself off the drugs. No. It ain't gonna work. You can kill yourself. That's what it will kill or can it, kill you. It, it, it can kill you. So for God's sakes, get help titrating off, but get the fuck off because it robs you of your spirituality. It robs you of your humanity. Uh, I, I've known so many vets. Listen, when, when I was teaching, uh, about two years before I retired, uh, my neighbor's daughter was, um, came over and I held that girl in my arms for eight or ten hours, she had, her husband was a staff sergeant who was on his, being sent on his fifth deployment to Afghanistan, Marine Corps. He offed himself, she found him, and that night I had the worst flashbacks I'd had in 30 or 40 years. And the, you know, the silent screams, the, the cold sweats, everything came up. And the next morning, I went down to the VA in Westwood, and this clerk said, well, you know, Mr. Kelly, we can't do anything for you. You make too much money. And I said, look, I want to connect with a talking group. I want to get together with a, a vet group. He said, well, we can't do anything for you. I went fucking ballistic. And the next thing I know, they had me in pajamas in a rubber room and uh, those people were crazy. <laughs> they were fucking crazy. And I'm not talking about the patients. Oh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> and, you know, I, I smuggled my phone in. I had enough juice left. I called Kathy. I said, get me the fuck out of here. Um, well, I think a dear friend of ours, Mary V. A doctor has helped us both out, the kind person, has said that you got to remember out there, the, the VA is an insurance adjustment group. Now, there's people that are trying to help and do the right thing in that group, but for the most part, it's an insurance adjustment group. 
Well, yeah, they are owned by the pharmaceutical industry. And there are some very fine people, and I've gotten phenomenal medical care. And I have too, and they're doing better. Oh, like, better and better all the time. They would never, today, like right now, you could never get what I got drug-wise when I first started my little train there <laughs> to how many ever I was taking a day. But the point, the point really is that, now I, you know, I occasionally smoke pot um, because it mellows me out. Um, I don't like being high all the time. I don't do that. I hate opioids. I, listen, I've, you name it, I've done it. I've done acid. I've done quaaludes. I've done uh, uh, mushrooms. I've done mescaline. You know, I am a child of the 60s. Um, you know, and... Yes, yes you are. <laughs> I am. Well, I mean, but, I, but, I, but I have a medical marijuana card in the state of Florida. I use it to sleep every single night. I can't believe. Listen, I can take a good, a good, I hit on good it. bud, and sleep. Yeah, I, and, I mean, like and, you know, but that's a lot different. And if you look at the medical research, and I'm, we're not, this is not about marijuana. I don't want to. I don't want to. Maybe it's really not. Uh, but you know, the truth of the matter is, there are so many drugs out there that can fuck you up and can cost you your life. And for those of us who have had family and friends uh, go down that route, it's heartbreaking. I lost a, a 23-year-old uh, grandnephew that I loved dearly um, to methamphetamines. He wound up hanging himself in a mental institution at the age of 23. It, this conversation isn't about drugs, but the reason we're talking about it is because these drugs have affected us. Well, spiritually, and I don't mean that in some, I almost hate the word spiritually because it has all of this baggage that we attach to it. It's like a box in another room. Yes, it is, it is. But when you have, when, when you, when I, you know, when I, discovered a connection in the universe bigger than my mental masturbation, um, more encompassing than my capacity to explain it, I quit trying to explain it. So it's that thing that we're talking about. That's what Christ was talking about. You know, that's what all the sages were talking about. Which that's really... why, by the way, that poetry is so powerful. It's, the, po the power of poetry is allusion. It's, it's not what it says, it's what it points to. And if you take a poem that speaks to you, and you read it now, and you read it next year, and you read it 20 years from now, what you discover with each reading is a whole new cut back to being processive. Mm -hmm. But the message is between the lines, it's not in the definition. That's why uh, in, in Judaism, the tradition is to write the word God, G hyphen D. Talk it's about not, that a little bit. Why? Well, Why would they do that? Well, if, if it's out of respect for the fact that it's bigger than any box. Is it bigger than genitalia? You think uh, God's a he or a she or a... Well, I think it's pretty androgynous. There's a, a painting I love over my Butsudon. Butsudon is a, a Buddhist shrine 
over there. It reminds me of the meeting of the Bodhisattvas at Eagle Peak in the Lotus Sutra. And you'll notice that that figure, and one of the things I love about that painting is it's androgynous. And the more you look at it, the more male and the more female and the more female and the more male it becomes. So it ain't about some swinging dick and it ain't about a vagina. You know, it ain't about plumbing. Um, and to anthropomorphize, to, to, to turn God into an image of ourselves is the height of arrogance. It is. You know, because then I just make it a reflection of whatever pissiness I'm about, or sanctimony, or whatever. Well, and at that point, this idea of you being part of the body of Christ or anything else is BS altogether. Oh yeah, well, it's just a conversation. It's and just a conversation. That's it. And, then there, and it can have no, no real reality. value. Yeah, no reality, no real value, no ontology whatsoever. Uh, I stood in a, in a cathedral in Ecuador years ago leaning against the front rail, pissed off. Said, fuck you, God. Just fuck you. You know, what is my ministry? There ain't no fucking ministry. And then you know what I realized? Out of that, life is ministry. You mean making I coffee? I mean life is making coffee. It's when a, when a, uh, a sick and scared and terrified immigrant knocks on my door who hasn't eaten for days is having compassion and feeding him and giving him water, letting him take a bath. It's in when your brother is hurting that you listen, you don't try to fix. It's in when your wife is dancing around in joy in those wonderful moments where you go, boy, that is really cool. Um, so, you know, with, with Kathy's death, what I really came to was this profound gratitude and appreciation for her. And the gift that our relationship was to both of us, to each of us. And in the face of the grief, you know, I'll carry her uh, in my heart forever. And I will my ex-wife, for that matter. But what I also realize is that what we experience is really an expression of the divine. What do you mean? What I mean is that in in plumbing one another's depths, we, we touched something much bigger than ourselves. Something remarkable. Something, um, I mean, every one of us out there likes to bump bellies. You know, we're all pretty, we can get pretty good at belly bumping. But making love, that's another, that's a whole other arena. Well, it reminds me that you know, I've met a few people who say, well, this is my soulmate. Yeah. But then it also raises an interesting specter for me. Why should she be the only soulmate? Why should I limit my connection with another human being 
judge to her? Well, the answer to me is pretty clear. That'd be pretty damn selfish. For her and for me. Now, I may or may not ever have a romantic relationship again. Um, uh, if I do, it'll be at a pretty profound level. I was going to settle for less. But what I do know is that by learning how to be present, that I connect with more and more people. So ontologically, that which I decided characterized me, who I be, who I say I am. That thing that I can tell my hamster wheel, when it says the earth sucks, it's got gravity, it sucketh in the biblical sense, it's fucked up. I go, thanks for sharing. Who I am, okay, who I am is a stand for compassion and love and humor, and who I be is the opening for transformation. Which you know, when, when you think about any kind of ontology, like when, if you go to Wikipedia and you type in what is the great ontological question, they'll say, can the idea of God exist? That's like the, does God exist or whatever. It's like the great, but maybe the great ontological question is do I exist? Yeah. And in that idea of me existing, when I look at myself, do I exist? Maybe the only way to answer that is in community with other people. There is no, there is no reality outside of relationship. Which, which goes back to this question. Of, Listen, Matt, you know, in, in, in the ministry that you have, what's remarkable and wonderful is that it's about being there for what shows up, not being there for a picture of your role. Exactly. No, that's that is it's, that's profound because that's what the drive in our culture is. Sure. To have a role, like you know, I, I in April. My doctorate degree was conferred. In May, I met retired army chaplain. Matt. Yeah. Like nobody cares. They don't care if I live or die. By December of the same year, my top secret security clearances they run out. Phone quits calling about January. By the time the pills are kicking up, why even live? Why do anything? Because at that point. If you're looking at like the role, but then if you look at the being, when I would tell Kate, I'm done, I'm going to commit suicide, and Kate would say, hell no, you're not. Because she knew Matt. She yeah. loved Matt. She didn't care about the role. We live See, in a society where people are being taught, hey, you got to get a role. you got to go for this degree. you got to become this person over here. All you really need to do is just be who you are. You know, I had so much fun teaching high school. Why? Because they really respond to just authentically being there out of the joy of being there with them. Now, I used to be a master teacher. <coughs> so I would teach beginning teachers about teaching. And of course, 
There's this whole discipline about lesson planning and so forth. And, and you got your pedagogy And you got to do it. You got to be clear about that, which it is that you want to, that you want. They're trying to achieve a goal. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, teaching, ministry, life, relationship, marriage, parenting is all about being present to what's going on. If you stand in front of the room and look in their eyeballs and they're somewhere else, then you might as well talk about the bovine species in an art class because you're not, not gonna, talking about cows. You're but right. you're not talking about cows. Yeah. But if I can, and, and, and the bird walks, the unexpected wild ass shit that comes up out of teenagers' mouths at the least expected minute, moment can be some of the most profound teachable moments. Do you pull on that thread, or do you stay with your lesson plan and talk about the bow? I think you got to go where the people go. So you go with what's present, where you know uh, uh, a great, a great uh, uh, reference point in education. Uh, uh, Portuguese educator Paulo Freire um, wrote a, a couple of books: Pedagogy of Hope, Pedagogy of Oppression. Pedagogy of Peace, and a guy by the name of Makaguchi in Japan came up with uh, value creating education, and John Dewey is, none of those guys are easy reading. <coughs> but, but if I go to, if I look at what happened in South America with liberation theology and our current Pope, it's about the people's church it's about the meeting the gospels where people are at. where you are yeah. not where somebody tells you you ought to be or what your role is and the role in ministry is to facilitate the other person's opportunity to discover themselves that's it otherwise you're trying to shoehorn them into some bullshit mold that some dogmatic theologist decided and uh, ultimately usually his infinite wisdom well what would i be too far off to interpret that right there as saying one of the greatest dangers in life is trying to become yeah you already are and it, deepak chopra got was asked well will you be my guru and Deepak looked at this woman and said, well, spell guru for me. He said, G-U-R-U. She said, yeah. Deepak says, yeah. See, G-U-R-U. You don't need a guru. Beautiful. And, you know, I, lo I love that one. Which, which, for everybody watching this, in a way what we're saying is, you've already got it. You've got Listen, everything. I live out here in the sticks now. I, you really I, do. I, I am. Holy cow. I'm, 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 <laughs> this place I'm, is like a third world country and I've been a couple. <laughs> when I go outside and you and I are going to walk out and look at the stars in a little while, it's breathtaking. I live in a community of people who support one another regardless of whether they're right wing or left wing or you know, from Mars or wherever the hell. It's about relationship. 
Life is not possible in insulation, in isolation. We cannot become insulated and isolated without, without losing our humanity. And, and negating. And negating it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you're actually so just I taking was, the axe to all your ontology. You're cutting yourself you're, off. Yeah. So who I was when I was that, what, 23-year-old kid, who, by the way, I, I found a photograph of me the last time I wore my uniform. I looked like I was 45 years old. It was frightening. And, I, of course, I looked at myself in the mirror every day. I didn't see it. My parents were just freaked out when I came home the last time, the second time. From Vietnam. Yeah. I did two uh, tours over there. But at any rate, um, well, who I was was estranged from everything. So so we've gone, I don't know how long we've gone. We've gone quite a we've bit. We've gone what was going to be a 15-minute interview has turned into God only knows how long. And I hope it serves somebody. Well, so if you were to say, if you were to sum up, I mean, you've had a journey. Oh yeah. Well, everybody's got a journey. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. But you, you were hard. That, that yeah, you're right. That was just worse crap to say. The the thing I wanted to say was you've taken some mental notes of your journey. Uh-huh. You've been aware of what you've went through. You and I have talked about it. I mean, we've oh, done yeah. we've done this on the phone a dozen times. Well, and I spent a week with you. You know, yeah. like last summer. Well, this we, time. You know, we kick one another in the ass every once in a yeah. while when we need it. So, so doing that, somebody out there sitting there, maybe one of the best things we could do to them is say, hey, why don't you sit down and have this conversation with somebody? Right? Absolutely. They sit down and talk about how to, how do you just be where you're at? Yeah, you know, it's quit we, so much of our life being somewhere up here in the hamster wheel other than here and with one another. Cool. Um, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I've, I've, I've developed some really, really incredible friendships out here. And several of them with women. And Well, that's a good thing. Well, it is a good thing, you know. Uh, it is, truly. By the way, my advice to every young man is to shut the fuck up and quit preening and listen. Because the, women see the world through eyes of a woman, which you can't do. And if you will listen to what they see, you'll have the greatest bullshit filter on the planet. Well, and that goes for, you know, we, we have heterosexual and we have homosexual relationships listed Absolutely. right now. So Absolutely. shut the hell up and listen to the other person. Yeah. Just listen. Yeah. And, and, and then listen and, to yourself, too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have uh, homosexual, uh, one of my favorite, my attorney years and years ago when I was playing Monopoly, uh, brilliant graduate of Cambridge and international law, stellar, and a flaming queen by night. I've gone clubbing with that guy. I've never had so damn much fun in my life. I mean, those guys are out there. But... You know, well, Dan, we're, we're kind of out there, too. Well, hey, I'm so tipped over the edge, it's, it's crazy. But my point in all of that is that when we authentically listen to one another and care, without a, an attachment to what that's supposed to be or how it's supposed to look, the miracles happen. Because then you are. Yeah. 
because then it's not about me fixing somebody or educating someone. It's about opening up the possibilities that are that are going to speak to you. Okay. you know, if, if, if there's one if there's one piece of advice this old man could suggest is that you truly do give yourself the permission to fall on your ass and get up and not hold the fall against yourself. And to pull on that thread, unravel that sweater that fascinates you. You know, and if you'll do that and allow the process to unfold and find a core for yourself, some vision for yourself outside of the rage, outside of the brokenness that you say is important to you. And use that as a grounding so when the world is in your face, you know, it's like the aliens got your ass, peeling it off your face. When the aliens got you by the balls, have something that you can tell yourself, thanks for sharing who I be, is what you say, not what I say, you be. You make that up powerfully in terms that enrich you and your capacity to love, to have compassion, and be authentically in the world. Um, it isn't about a role. I've been the CEO, uh, I've been the fat cat, I've been homeless. Yeah, I've been homeless. You know, I left out a lot. But, well, you know, the, we all, I mean, you know, that's all irrelevant. The point of the matter is who we are yeah. is an expression of that cosmic energy, that divine love, that, that godness. We're not separated from it except here, but not in some churchly way, not in, not in some box. It's always bigger than, it's, it's like, it, it, again, Rumi, the Sufi poet, wrote some of the most incredible love poetry in the world. I used to read a Rumi poem to Kathy every night. You can and, stop at the poem. <laughs> but no. the great thing about it is it was the love of God, it was the love of the woman, it was love of the man, it was love, the love of being human. Oh, no, it, that, and it's that's true and love. that is yeah. the divine. It's not just sex, it's love. And oh, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, no, and sex is cool too, you know, but it's, yeah. you know, you know. Um, now, I'm going to ask you a question. Switch off sex, which is strange for me because yeah. talk about sex. All yeah. Day. Um. You know we're live, so you can just say I'm not gonna talk about that. Oh no, shit! Are we not? I thought we were videotaping this. We're live. Oh, this is straight live. Oh, hot damn! So, uh, he still says we're live. We stood. In, we stood in a graveyard together. We did. And you shared with me what you want on your, on your, I'd like to leave everybody with that if you don't mind. Well, I stole that from George Bernard Shaw. 
but I've, I've had, I'll, I'll be cremated, and I promised my wife that I would have my ashes buried in her grave. Mm -hmm. And so my son will do that, and I told him if he wants to take a cup of them, if he's that crazy, he can have them. But the little box that I've already had made for my ashes has a little plaque on it. I think this is an important plaque. I think it's a real important plaque. And what it says on it is, here lies Dan, all used up. Thanks for sharing with that church. Hey, brother. Being with us. Um, Y'all remember, question, think about stuff, have fun, take care of one another. Talk to y'all. Thank you for joining us for part two of this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.